Guys, welcome. It's episode 126, and it's at the end of well, a terrific week. Uh, it's a full house, probably befitting Pages Rob Page's finest window today. Is that fair, Rich? I think it is. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's completely correct. He got everything right, and that's um, you can't really ask for any for any more from a head coach. Really, it all um, he he did really really well, and I've been kind of little bit kind of on the fence with him particularly recently but um to be just like completely like honest and clear about it he did he did brilliant yeah yeah i did a look from innsbruck leon great yeah i watched both matches um around the time that they finished funnily enough um on dazone um you can do sort of live playback so i didn't know the results and um so i was watching till quite late <laughs> it was like well after midnight by the time the game's finished my time so i was getting up at like six thirteen the next day get the kids to school but so i was knackered but it was well well worth it to watch the games and see those performances and i can only echo what rich said about page i think he got he got absolutely everything right this week um is definitely his best his best week as wales manager that includes the sort of week when we drew with uh, Switzerland and beat Turkey at the Euros, I think, because the pressure was really on for these games and um, he really delivered. Yeah, so well done, Rob Page. Kids loved it as well, didn't they, where we were sat? Yeah, yeah, a real treat for them. Um, you know, it's been, uh, I suppose, kids the age of our kids have been spoiled a little bit, you know, a couple of Euros and chance to go to a couple of decent games. But I suppose in recent months, our kids have come more regularly and they've sat through some rubbish as well. You know, the Estonia game we took them to was pretty underwhelming. So for them to go and see five and then that big result against uh, Belgium, certainly it was the most my kids had enjoyed it since the the Hungary game back in 2019. You know, and in terms of what we were saying about Paige's window, I think that was probably the last time in a qualifier we had a good, really good double header like that because that came just after the win in Azerbaijan, which was not bad either. But yeah, this is a really terrific few days. We went into the Euros and I was, I sort of stuck my neck out a little bit. Well, not stuck my neck out, but I thought, if, uh, you know, someone I'm really expecting a big tournament from was Nico Williams in the summer and it, it didn't happen for him. And over the course of the two games, so it's almost like an aggregate basis, those two performances are about as, as good a consecutive pair of performances as we've seen from anybody in quite some time and I'm struggling to think of, of, a, of a pair of perform- consecutive performances like that but even when you say that and you've got a full applauded cigar you're kind of thinking there were performances all over the park in both games so I'm really pleased with Paige I'm really pleased with him because I think he's he's had a massive amount to deal with you know, it's not just the uncertainty over in which he, you know the, the the situation which he took over the job you know there was no chief executive for, 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 for a couple of months He's had to deal with, you know, one assistant going, another one coming in. He finally gets someone he wants to pick in the in in, in the shape of Neil, who's had a couple of camps. Just seems to have, have sort of clicked for him at the absolute right right moment. I'm really pleased with him because he's 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 had some stick and there was a lot of page out kind of stuff after the Estonia game, which I you know I kind of understand. But like Rich says, he just he got everything right, with the exception of maybe not making a, a substitution until injury time in the second game which puzzled us and everybody around well, me and we were sat guys but I guess ultimately he's proven right I, I, you know to defend him on that because I, I was thinking about the hour mark is he going to bring Brennan Johnson on maybe um, I don't know or Harry Wilson I guess those would have been the um, obvious ones but I, I, and I thought about it and thought well who's he going to take off because you know 
Ramsey as captain, okay, Ramsey's not played so much recently and might want to sort of think about his legs. But I thought Ramsey was still sort of affecting the game and, and, and doing doing well. Kiefer Moore, we haven't really got a like for like for Kiefer Moore. And he was having a great game and was always an outlet. Dan James was just such a willing runner and um, was causing them problems with his pace throughout. So I sort of think, yeah, who's he going to take off? And, and, and then we sort of seem to get a bit of a, a second wind and everyone seemed to be full of running still. We, we were mm. the better team in, in the second half, and even though they were the ones making the, all the substitutions, bringing fresh legs on. We seemed to have more energy than them. So I, don't, I didn't think it really needed uh, a substitution. So I, I'll, I'll defend him for that. Yeah, I think Leon's. I think Leon's right. We were very much in the ascendancy. Us, you know, we were, we did well in the first half. We were better in the second half. And as the game, second half went on, we even had a couple of times where perhaps we could have gone and, and and sort of won that game. And I think sometimes it can maybe disrupt the way you're playing to to bring change, make changes for the the sake of it. I I didn't feel at any point that any particular individual was looking really, really laggy or really, really sort of off the pace compared to the the Belgians. I thought um I thought the energy levels were really, really good. So yeah, and as you say, Paige was kind of proved right with his tactical decision making there. Yeah, it's superb as well because with um with Morel being on a yellow card as well, having Paige having the trust in Morel to not get booked again, that was a correct decision. Morel totally repaid that. And I mean, even keeping Ramsey on, I was I had like a an intake of breath when he took Ramsey off, even with the 90th minute, but there were still six minutes left. And I thought you're taking off an awful lot of uh, like leadership and intelligence and IQ by taking Ramsey off. But he got that right again. He sort of timed it perfectly um, the way the way it played out. So it was again even even with the subs, which is something. I mean, Page isn't. It would seem like he wasn't born a brilliant head coach he's going to learn to be as good as he can be and he's definitely showing signs of improving and, and this game showed it in, in every way you could think yeah of it. yeah uh, morel um, everybody was kind of really praising him on social media which, which i think is you know it's deserved i'm not saying for one second it's not and we've discussed morel probably more than probably most other player actually in the squad over the last sort of year or so but i actually thought he started really off the pace in that Belgium game, and I was a bit worried. I'm thinking he could get found out here. This this could be the game where finally you, that that League Two, uh, so a League One level lack of games over the last couple of years, League game kind of catches up. And the way he picks up the yellow card almost summed up just being a like a yard or two off the pace. That ball was there to be won. Him and Witzel are going for it. Witzel just nicks it away, and it's I thought it was a harsh booking as it goes because the ball was there to be won. But okay, it goes into the book. And then I'm thinking, 13 minutes, oh my God, he's going to be chasing shadows enough as it is. You know, 10 men and they'll absolutely crucify us. But from almost the moment that he got the card, he just seemed to, I think it's a massive indication for his temperament, like a real positive sign of, of how good a temperament he's got. He just, I know he just seemed to just sort of zone in on just everything he needed to do and he just did it immaculately pretty much. But I was worried for those first 10, 12 minutes, I'll be honest. But after that, it was absolutely, absolutely terrific. Maybe the booking him just kind of focused his mind that a bit more. Or something. I think it's almost as simplistic as that. I think I, I don't know. It was almost as if it it just kind of focused him to think. Right, okay. Now, if I if I get anything else wrong, that's it. I'm off. And he had a little he had a little nick at someone else a little bit afterwards. I remember thinking, if he's not careful, he's going to talk himself 
into another one here. Not talk himself, but you know, you know what I mean. Just, just like the cumulative account, uh, account of free kicks of offences, but just absolutely brilliant and um, really, really impressed with him. Yeah, and I think we got to manage our expectations of him a, a little bit. This is a, a League One player who's, you know, be- better players than than Joe Morell are going to be sort of beaten narrowly to the ball by someone like Axel Witzel, aren't they? You know, the fact that he can kind of come back from that and have a steady performance against a team like Belgium speaks to something we've been speaking about, you know, almost since he made his his debut. You know, he, he performs above the level he's normally at whenever he plays for us. I think he's one of those players, and we, we get them quite regularly, who just being surrounded by players of a better quality like Joe Allen and Aaron Ramsey really helps him to raise his game, which is part of that sort of same thing, I think, around the mentality um, we're talking about, you know, and he's... He's become a you know a, a crucial member of of the team, and he had two two really really good games. You know, I thought you know he was he did a really good job of of sort of disrupting that um, Belgian midfield, and and again another sort of credit to Page. He had to make that tactical shift between the two games. He he needed Harry Wilson to do a role in the first one. We needed something different in the second one, and, and Joe Morrell was able to come in and do that really well. And then back on the bench for Portsmouth today. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, kind of in, it's kind of incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But if we roll back to that first game of the two, we're in the stadium and we, we see that lineup come through and we all thought pretty much he's going for it, which I guess he had to do because we, we needed goals, we wanted goals. And I think I can't help get over the, the fact that we score within, what, two minutes against Belarus and... It just settles everything, settles the nerves a little bit, creates that rhythm. And I just think, you know, if Wilson had buried that chance against Estonia, similar sort of circumstances, I wonder how that game pans out and whether we're, we're, we're then needing as much out of this window because of the way that result went. But I mean, you know, that's, that's water under the bridge. But just a perfect kind of hour or so in terms of he's picking an, an offensive lineup, an assertive lineup. Presumably the formation as well, and then we we score in two minutes, and we've needed that for a while. It's a while since we scored early like that. I thought that was key to the whole window. Yeah, it was, and I mean it's there's absolutely no coincidence that it's Aaron Ramsey who was there to, to score that goal as well. Clearly, Bale is like the ultimate kind of clutch player for us, but Ramsey isn't that far behind because the amount of important goals he's scored over the last few few years is is unreal. I mean. And like his performances over both games, it's like very different against Belgium um, yeah. for, for obvious reasons. But it's absolutely bananas. You've got people who have Wales fans apparently who um, have like questioned his commitment and stuff. This guy turns up and is brilliant. Just another level. I mean, he's easily in like a best eleven of all time for us. Just a superb player. And, and then yet again, he he gets the goal that starts it all. That's, that was his nineteenth uh, goal for Wales, and he, and then later on in the game, the penalty was his twentieth. So he's only the sixth player to score twenty goals for Wales, I think. And if we count Ivan Allchurch as a forward, because he was a sort of inside forward, and I'm not quite sure what that means. It's sort of like in the in the olden days, it was like I don't know somewhere between mid, being a midfielder and a forward. But let's say he's a forward, and then, you know Ramsey's the only midfielder up there with twenty plus goals, and um, in 70 caps, that's, that's not bad. It's not bad going for goal scoring and lots of important goals as well, as you said. And like Rich said, it's no coincidence, like him being on the field to get that 
all-important first goal, which sets us off. And it looks like, I mean, it's a simple finish, obviously, in the end, but he was the one who kind of anticipated that what might happen in terms of Ben Davis hitting that shot sort of straight down the keeper's neck, but hard, and he might spill it. And he was he anticipated that, that might happen. He has this uncanny knack of anticipation, which is just like something you can't teach, but he just, he's, he's, he's always had it as well. It sort of reminded me, I mean, it's a very different goal, but when he scored for the under-21s against Italy, he did this sort of back heel flick. And so he's unsighted. He doesn't know where the ball's going, but he, he, he spins and he moves into exactly the right position for where the ball ends up. And it ends up, ends up coming off an Italian player, but he knows roughly where the ball's going to go. It's just an amazing sort of anticipation. He knew where that ball was likely to go and he just, yeah, <laughs> there I am. And I put it in the back of the net. Absolutely. On that point of the anticipation that Leon's talking about there, I watched like um, I was watching the highlights back today and, and like on another couple of commentaries where I've seen it, commentators are falling over themselves to say uh, what an easy chance. He couldn't have had hoped for an easier chance because he finds himself in all this space on the edge of the six yard box. But that's that's a measure of what happens in that play and what Leon's talking about. If you watch sort of closely the slow-mo and the freeze frame, he's made his way back out back on side the second that ball goes clear as the sort of offside freeze happens when Ben Davis is uh, hitting that ball Bale's still offside if it breaks to him he's offside it's no goal Ramsey is already back out onside and turning to get back into that space so when he arrives in that huge amount of space it's because literally everybody else has been watching the ball he's known exactly where he needs to be and that you know, that's why he's so crucial for us because he, he's an exceptional world-class player at that sort of thing you know he's got that sort of striker's instinct and anticipation for that as well as all the other attributes to his his game as a sort of number 10 and a, a midfielder and um the fact he was able to run and run as he did for for two games with so little football behind him as well is you know without him i'm not sure those two games go anything like as well as they did i'm certain they don't it reminded me a bit of the first one against hungary two years ago in the he's just lurking. I mean, the ability to find space, well, for a start, stay on side and then find space as well in the, in, a, in a crowded penalty area just shows that someone is just thinking that the game in a different way to most other players on the pitch, maybe even every other player on the pitch, but they're just able to sort of pick up that space and he, maybe he picks that ball up against Hungary that sort of, it's Kiefer Moore, isn't it, sort of, as he's falling, he manages to, to, to slide this ball through and you just think, well, ordinarily, the ball's not going to go there eight times out of ten, but he kind of, he just judges it right. Brilliant. Uh, here's a stat for you. In terms of important goals, I mean, you're right. Obviously, he, he scored, that was his 19th, as Leon says. He gets the gets the second, gets the penalty for 20. Of those 20 goals, only two haven't been in competitive fixtures. And I hadn't, I hadn't quite realised that's how important his goals tend to be. They all tend to have points riding on them. So he scored against Scotland in the, the 3-0. The first game at Cardiff City Stadium, and he got one in the uh, against Northern Ireland in that Carling Nations Cup thingy. <laughs> I don't think we can argue it's competitive. I mean, for that matter, even one goal in the Nations League, so seventeen of his goals have come in qualifiers or in the Euros uh, final tournaments themselves. I was a bit disappointed he didn't end up getting a hat trick. To be honest, I'd love him for getting a hat trick. No, he was he was different class, and I thought in the second game as well, it was. Because we often talk, don't we? Oh, you don't want him in a two in midfield. He, no, no, it's not that sort of player. I thought he was really 
really effective in the second game as a, I don't know describe it, almost as like an offensively defensive player in that he was almost marking Witzel. You know, Witzel's a holding player who tends to do a job on, on your, your best players. Witzel's going deep to pick up the ball from his centre-back, so from his keeper. Ramsey was going, but he wasn't going every single time. He was almost just biding his time and then was just trying to cut off the supply to De Bruyne. And as the game went on in the second half, it worked absolutely brilliantly. And De Bruyne is always going to find space. You're never going to completely silence him, clearly. But Ramsey was incredibly effective in that sort of role. So the sense that he can't play that sort of defensive role is kind of right, but you can be defensive, but in a different way. And I just thought he was absolutely brilliant in that second half in that. And lasted far longer than I thought he was going to, as you say, Rich. Yeah, the passing was just unreal. It was... There were kind of certain phases where, like, the the guys sort of working as a unit pressing were just pinning Belgium back in their like penalty box. It was really like intense and kind of quite sort of crazy to see it, but it, it was fantastic. And again, that's probably like what you're saying about Ramsey can't do the defensive stuff. I, for me, the more problem with the larger problem of playing Ramsey in a deep role is he's more likely to give it away by a, trying like a, a more expansive pass or something rather than his actual closing yeah, down and stuff. Okay. Clearly he can do that. Um, but again, that's another big, big tick for Page because it would have been Page who would have instructed that high of a press in those positions at times when it, the press is on. And, and it was fantastic. I mean, Ramsey working with Nico, with Dan James, just really pinning Belgium back. And I think at that point, I think Belgium knew it wasn't going to be a walkover for them. And they probably, I think that helped to get us over the line. I think that pressing, it was really incredibly impressive. Yeah, when we were watching the game, the sort of the first time, quite early, I think it was in the first half, when we, we sort of pressed and we, I think we closed down the ball and maybe it ended up for a goal kick. But, you know, it, it got a big cheer from the crowd as, as that sort of that sort of kind of thing does. And, and I think you made the point to me at, at the point along the lines of fine, but you've got to sort of you can't necessarily do that for 90 minutes. You've got to judge when to go. And, and, and as it turned out, they were really, really effective at doing that. And Dan James, I thought in particular, sort of uh, leading that press, but he was very mature and showed a lot of leadership, looking over both shoulders at, at Ramsey or, or Kiefer Moore on a couple of occasions and at, at Nico Williams on the left and sort of making sure that everyone's up together, calling players up to the press. And three or four or five times put real pressure on their sort of second string centre-backs and forced mistakes. And we weren't so good at retaining possession and stringing seven, eight, nine, ten passes to try and starve Belgium with the ball a little bit. But without the ball we were able to stop them picking their passes at will. And for all De Bruyne had his moments, he was relatively quiet in the sense that he didn't dictate the entire game. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't allowed that sort of freedom to be picking up the ball. He had to work really hard for his his space. And came deeper and deeper in the way that when we yeah. struggled, that's how we see Bale doing it. And as soon as you see that happening, it, you sort of, you know, it is a sign of, of how things aren't necessarily going for you. With the Belgium create create a chance in the second half. I can't really remember. I mean, Ward had to come and claim a few crosses. and Ward dropped on that one at the very, very end. Very end, wasn't it? it? The weak header, wasn't but it? But I'm, I'm not even sure whether it counts as a chance or not. I don't know. But I mean, it, it gave me squeaky bum time. I know that much. So in that, in that measure, it counts as a chance. But apart from that, no, no. Which reminded me of the game in, in 2015, that although they put on the heavy artillery that day, and I think, I think they ended up with like Lukaku and Benteke both up front. And artillery doesn't come much heavier than that. They almost kind of inversely, 
you know, the greater attacking threat that they had, the less chances they, they created. And that's kind of how it felt a little bit. Not that they ended up going as direct as they did that night from, uh, from memory. I mean, should we read too much into the fact that that Belgian lineup was missing a lot of quality, still had a lot of quality, but it was missing a lot of quality and caps and experience. Um, there was a couple of people that played winning only their, you know, making their debuts. Yeah, Castile's, you know, not first choice, only his third cap. Do we read much into that or do we just go, listen, you don't get a bad Belgium side? Uh, yeah, I would say the latter. Uh, I would say those players are going to be desperate to try and get in the World Cup squad. And, you know, if they're making their debuts or they haven't had much time playing for Belgium, they'll they'll be really keen to impress. And, you know, these these guys are playing at like top clubs. They're all like top flight players. I mean, I saw something, I think it was like the Guardian report on the game or something where there's a Belgian fan saying, oh, well done Wales, you beat our third string team or something. Well, you know, even sort of players are like their third choice striker, like Origi has scored in a Champions League final and he's coming up against, you know, players in our team, are, are, you know, Joe Morel, you know, he's on the bench at a League One club. Virtually all our defence isn't a regular first choice pick for their team. You know, the goalkeeper doesn't play. Our wing-backs haven't started a league game this season. Our, uh, you know, I think Ben Davis is probably the only one of our centre-backs that's played a top-flight game this season in that match. Um, and then, you know, Mepham's hardly played for Bournemouth in, in their league and their second division. So, I mean, like, let's give ourselves some credit here. We're coming up against top players and um, our players are not playing at that level and we really, really competed. So... I don't buy that argument that Belgium were really weakened or whatever, and they still had total quality out there with De Bruyne and Witzitz or players like that. Yeah, and I'm mostly in agreement with Leon on that. There were three players in that team for us who play consistently for their clubs, Dan James, Joe Allen and Kiefer Moore. You know, the other eight don't. And Dan James actually only recently since his move to Leeds. That Belgian team, OK, missing players, but player for player, it's a better team than anyone than nearly anyone we're going to get in the playoffs, bar perhaps Italy and Portugal. You know, so that's a challenge and it's a great performance, whatever. I think the only sort of sort of meaningful counter-argument to that is in that second half, when, when we were doing really well and we did have periods on top, there wasn't an urgency from them. They didn't need to go and try and win that game. A draw suited us and actually a draw wasn't the end of the world for them you know it didn't stop the winning the group so we were playing out that game against a team who who didn't need to force anything and that that did help us a bit but even so that's a that's a good belgian team with good players who play for top european clubs yeah i noticed they sent out i didn't notice this on the night but soon looking back they sent the tongan on <laughs> late on i managed to miss that um and so, you know just his uh, just 135 caps under his, his belt <laughs> you know martinez has done this and they did it in the game in belarus where he rotated. So you look at their phenomenal uh, record in qualifiers over the last seven or eight years, and they've lost like like three or four competitive games at all, most of them in the tournaments, you know. And in that spell, there's been occasions where Martinez has tried a few players and given some fringe players an opportunity. So it's not as if playing a weakened team, second, third string, however you want to define it, has not contributed to that as well. That's part of that whole inverted commas, golden generation and the run that they're on. Just look at that, the technique for that uh, Togan Hazard volley and the, you know, the, the, I mean, the Bruyne's free kick, pinpoint free kick just floated to him and the way he just mm. sets himself for that and and hits it. I mean, that is, that is just sheer, sheer quality of the highest order. That's what we're up against, you know. 
Well, yeah, after the game, I mean, I kind of was thinking this is like a top 10 performances of all time for us. I mean, it was like so impressive. And then if you sort of factor in the potential importance of the game, giving us the home, the home time, the playoffs, I mean, it could be like a history changing an all-time defining result for us because had we been playing away in Italy in the, in the playoff semi-finals, we've got maybe maybe a one in ten one in ten chance, maybe not even that. We'll take anyone at home in the playoff because of this result, and then potentially then after that it's in our hands and we might be going to a World Cup. So yeah, for me it was a titanic performance against a really really good team. You never losing qualifiers. <laughs> That, that hopefully could, could prove to be true. Although, if I were to rain on the parade a little bit, and I guess I will, since that's kind of my thing, <laughs> the significance of that draw and that performance will probably only have any kind of longevity if if we qualify for the World Cup. And, you know, oh, course, it, yeah. it is starting to dawn on us now, I think, a little bit as we sort of look towards March, that playoffs now are not what they used to be, and we struggle with playoffs in the old days. Three teams out of 12 in those playoffs are going to the World Cup, aren't they? And Portugal and Italy are two of those teams. So, yes, great great to have a home draw. Great to know that first game's at the Cardiff City Stadium, probably against a team, hopefully we'll avoid Poland, who, who you know, we've got a really good chance of beating. But, crikey, that, that second game, whoever it's against, is going to be a real challenge and is potentially away in Portugal, potentially away in Italy. So, there's uh, there's some other really, really big nights coming. But, if we can get through that, if we can be one of those three teams, we'll look back on this Belgium game yeah. and, and you know it will it will take on a real, real significance when we sort of tell the story of getting to that World Cup and the World Cup itself. Until we get them in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. <laughs> There's only 13 spaces for European UEFA members in this World Cup, which I hadn't quite realised was so low until I went back to look. And it's pretty brutal, isn't it, for UEFA nations to get to the World Cup? And... You know, the other associations or confederations, whatever they're called around the world, would say that Europe had had a, you know, more than had a, a fair shot at it over the years. But if we were to nab one of those 13 spaces, I think that's a phenomenal achievement. No, it would be. Before we get to sort of talking the playoffs in, in more detail, let's not beat around the bush here to uh, put an ACDC reference in for you, Russ. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, like it. Yeah. That's our best ever World Cup qualifying performance ever. Ever, ever, ever. To finish second in a five-team group, we've never done that before. The only times we've finished second before is in it been in a four-team group in 65 when that wasn't enough because only the top teams went through. But that group was sort of done and dusted, I think, before our last two games anyway because the Soviet Union just ran away with it. And in 57, we finished second in a three-team group, which wasn't enough to qualify outright. We only qualified because we got drawn out of a hat to play in a playoff. So that's our best ever World Cup qualifying performance. You know, obviously, I hope we do go on to win these two playoff ties that we'll hopefully have and go to a World Cup. But the achievement so far, I think, really deserves some recognition. You're right. Uh, and who was who was drawn out of the hat before us? Belgium. <laughs> Belgium. Belgium. Never too far away from us yeah. and qualification efforts. Yeah, I think I think that needs to be to be said. And I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've not been paying attention, but I'm not sure that's necessarily been quite, you know, picked up on quite as much as I would have perhaps expected. Maybe it's kind of get lost a little bit in all of the 
the complicatedness of that's not a word is it the complexity of the way qualification is these days compared to those pretty taut three and four group teams of yesteryear but um with you know with another decent side in the group it's not like it's been completely full of minnows and the draw went for us even czech republic are a decent team i mean there were three teams in that five team group at the euros it is it's a terrific effort and it comes back to what i said at the start i think i think I think Paige deserves a huge amount of credit for for navigating it as far as as far as he's navigated it to date. There's obviously still a bit more more to do, as as, as Gaz says. Yeah, I think on that that point, I hadn't really considered it at all in the in the terms Leon puts it there. But he, he's absolutely right, and I think it speaks to then that issue with the number of European teams qualifying because for most of our lifetime, finishing second in a World Cup qualifying group. Okay, it might have been playoffs rather than automatic qualification in, in some years, although it wasn't always. But in those days, getting into a playoff for a World Cup was 50-50 chance. Well, finishing second and getting a playoff now is still only really 25% chance. So it, maybe it doesn't seem on the face of it as perhaps impressive. But for a team like us, you know, what should be our expectations when we go into a group like that? Our nearest rivals in the group, yeah. the Czech Republic, who are traditionally a really strong European team, well, we took four points out of six didn't we? You know what? Plus we took some points off or took a point off, you know, the top ranked team in the group in any, by any other measure at any other time, that would have been a really, really good performance, notwithstanding those couple of drop points against Estonia. You know, maybe that's another challenge that still sort of lies ahead. Having two weaker teams in your group and just guaranteeing that you've got 12 points there is something we still need to get a little bit better at. But yeah, actually the way Leon described that, not enough has been made of that at all. Just interrupting this episode brings your attention our brand new Patreon page to which you can subscribe to receive exclusive content. There are four tiers you can subscribe to, named after four of our contemporary heroes, Sophie Ingle, Chris Gunter, Jess Fishlock and Gareth Bale. Full details are at patreon.com forward slash podcast underscore Peldroid or click on the link in the descriptive text for this episode on whichever platform serves you your podcasts. With 125 episodes under our belt, we thought it was time to give the first and longest-running Wales football podcast a little overhaul. Episodes will continue to be available on the mainstream as they have been for the last seven, brackets, seven, years, but in addition on the Patreon there will be exclusive content such as interviews, some longer-form episodes, Welsh-language content, including for learners, and more. We're thrilled to have support with the Patreon from the exquisitely talented Wrexham-based artist Liam Stokes-Massey, a.k.a. Pencil Craftsman, with whom there is a discount available for subscribers to the upper tiers, as well as other perks. But anyway, back to the episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Randall. You know, to go back to Belgium again, because they're never that far away. If we'd have finished second to Belgium in 1993, we'd have just gone straight through to the World Cup. Yeah. You know, that would have been enough, but we didn't. Romania did, as we all know. You know, finishing second in 1981 would have been enough to go to Spain in 82. But we we messed that campaign up at the end. So, yeah, the players deserve credit. Rob Page deserves credit. So, is there anything I want to say about the Belarus game? Because I'm just thinking, like, talking about the Czech Republic, Sieg's into the, the, the playoff opponents, but I don't want to undercook the Belarus game because that was a really good performance, I thought. One of our, what is it, the biggest win competitive since... The six nils, like in the nineties, San Marino, the Pharaohs, competitive win anyway. I guess it did smack of what I was just talking about—the idea of how effectively we can sort of dispatch those 
weaker teams in our group. And we seem to get things right that we've struggled to in the past. So it was certainly the best example of being able to have Ampadu and, and Ben Davis or, or any other slightly more comfortable on the ball player in, in that back three coming into midfield at exactly the right time so that it didn't matter that, you know, I was quite worried when I saw like it's Joe Allen and then it's like Wilson and, and, and all these different attacking options. And you just think, oh, we've left ourselves sort of bare. We know sort of our, our centre-halves can get caught out if there isn't that protection in front. That's why Joe Morrell has been so important. But we were much, much better at, um, and all right, Belarus made it possible, but having Ben Davis bring the ball into midfield, having Amtu come and make up the numbers, you know, when we were without the ball and being able to win it back really quickly. And on top of that, then, you know, a sort of related thing is how well the two wing-backs were able to play, how high up the pitch they were able to play and how we were able to dominate an attacking sense because of that. Tactically, against Estonia and Belarus and, and similar teams in the past, we've never got it quite right in terms of, of being able to score a load of goals and create a load of chances. So it was really, really good to good to see that. And we briefly started to mention Nico Williams and, and, and I suppose Connor Roberts as well take some credit for that. But they've got they've got a big future now in this team if we're gonna start playing with that kind of confidence against teams that we should be comfortably beating. You know, it did feel a little bit like a, a treat to be two 0 up after twenty minutes. It's not something that we're really used to even against the weakest teams yeah, we play. Yeah. So Rich Nico, I'm going to invite you to either rein in our collective expectations or just pour fuel onto them. On Nico, um well I'm a bit I'm, I'm a fan of his. I really don't think he's a he's a full back in a back four. I can't see that necessarily. It doesn't help that he doesn't play at club level. That he had that amazing that really 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 good shot and run against Belgium towards the end. I mean, he is like a very very like talented player, I think, who kind of can potentially go like really really far and like hit very very high levels. But playing kind of the 3-4-3, that suits him. I think the higher up the pitch he is, the better. And he can do the kind of defensive work for closing down, but I mean he had like a really ropey um few months prior to this where he really kind of I felt like he was exposed quite a lot but he needs to play at club level I mean that's how he's going to work out where his best position is it seems to me like it's he's more a more offensive player but we'll see well that's why um when we were previewing the game I I, I really thought I you know I really hope he goes with wing backs because I mean it suits our players I sort of mentioned Nico Williams because I heard he played well for Liverpool in the in the league cup at least and I like him as a left wing back. I like him cutting in and getting shots away. And, and he scored from one, obviously, against Belarus. And then he nearly scored from one with an absolutely terrific shot about seven minutes from time against Belgium. At the moment, at least, I like him as left wing back. I really like Connor Roberts at right wing back. We've got two wing backs there, like full of energy, full of running, who score goals as well. We, you know, just haven't had that for a long time. Um, people in those positions who, who score goals and look to get. Uh, shots away, even you know, even though it it was a terrible shot, you know, Connor Roberts came onto that that Dan James cross in the first, I'm sorry, second half against Belgium, and um, we're just not really used to seeing that because Chris Gunter and and Neil Taylor, legends though they are, scored one goal in 149 caps. These guys are <laughs> five in fifty-ish, isn't it? So it's a bit of a difference. So I, I just think that system suits us, and 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 Ben Davis playing left of three centre backs. I like him there. I don't think he's got a future as a as a left back at, at Tottenham. 
if he is going to play games at Tottenham, it'll be in that position. And that's where I like him playing for Wales. And that's where he's played most of his games for Wales. And Ampadu, as a centre-back who can step into midfield, like he did against Belarus, I like him there. Um, and Roden in the centre of them, you know, he's, he's just such a classic old-school defender. Isn't he? he just loves defending. It's, it's, it's great to watch, you know. It's, a lot of the time you think of sort of entertaining football as being people who sort of take people on and get shots away and stuff. But, you know, something really entertaining about how Joe Roden defends, for me at least. I just love it when he just sort of looks at the referee and holds his arms out and like he's, you know, th- you know I haven't seen that since Bellamy's days, just so thoroughly pissed off with the decision and then just kind of goes, right, fine, let's get on with the game. It's almost like a, this like Jesus Christ pose that he does, I think is... Uh... <laughs> which I absolutely adore and then he'll just take someone out legitimately and cleanly and entirely legally but just in the quest to get the ball it's, it's, it's terrific to see and and really good timing really good timing and I think that's, that's a terrific attribute in a centre-back and I think you know again not not to take anything away from Nico who's absolutely brilliant over the two games having a Ben Davis just tucked inside on the left of those three as you say Leon and back on his game as well because there was a yeah. little bit of a wobble Mepham's had his wobbles through the campaign, um, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, the way that Ward conceded that goal in, in Prague, you know, he had a wobble. I think he's had an excellent campaign on the whole, but there was that moment. And you know, Roden has been, you know, has been really, really consistent. But I just think if you've got that strong back four, then keeper plus three, your win backs are going to have a bit more confidence bombing forward, knowing that they're going to be covered as they as they do so. Um, you know, not least, you know, Joe, you know, one or other of the Joes. And tucking in Ampadu, obviously, in the first game, Mepham in the second. But just having that solidity just, I think, gives them a bit more confidence as well as the licence to to get forward. But um, that's a terrific stat, mind that one, the the, the Taylor and Gunter versus Nico and, yeah. and Connor um, in terms of goals scored. And I do like that one. It's not my best stat I'm going to release tonight, but uh, I'm going to keep my powder dry on that one. Although I told I told you off there, so you know what's coming. But <laughs> on, Nico, on Nico Williams, um, I think we were sort of um, sort of lavishing praise on him on the WhatsApp group after the first game, and I think I did point out then, okay, it's one thing to to be really effective and and, and look really promising when uh, a player like that can play the bulk of the game in the attacking third. But I, I you know I was cautious going to the Belgium game. We'd seen him be a bit exposed in the in the Euros, and I was nervous about what might happen when he came up against someone like. Mounier, but he sort of completely he completely put that to bed over the course of that game. And I think it kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier, Russ, that not just one game, but over two games, he's come back from maybe a disappointing summer, still not, you know, really making much of a mark at club level, but having two big games. And as a 19-year-old, that says a lot about character and a lot about maturity and a lot about confidence. And with that added sort of I don't know, added consistency around personnel, you're right about Ben Davis just inside him. I don't think we can maybe stand to get too many defensive injuries because the way Williams and Connor Roberts play, we need that solidity in the back three. And I don't think you get it, well, with Mepham even, although he did come in and do well in the Belgium game. But if you have to start bringing in maybe James Lawrence or a Lockyer for someone like a Ben Davis, then, um, you know, that could be the sort of thing that leaves Nico Williams a little bit more exposed defensively. But he was absolutely terrific. And the other thing about him, though, is I wonder what his long-term future is in terms of a position. I mean, at at Liverpool, he's not going to dislodge, I don't think, Robertson or Alexander-Arnold at any point. So it's whether he goes to another club 
either on loan or permanently to play one of those wing back positions. But actually to look at him and, and particularly look at him when he's going forward, it wouldn't be that amazing to find that actually he ends up playing a very different position, perhaps more like a, a winger, perhaps even somewhere in midfield. You know, he he doesn't look to me quite so obviously say like Connor Roberts. Connor Roberts, you look at the way he plays and he, he's he's the very definition of a sort of attacking right wing back. Nico Williams as a 19-year-old looks like, do you know what, in two years' time, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a sort of box-to-box midfielder or, you know, even a sort of fairly attacking winger. You know, it's it's he seems to have the attributes that depending on, you know, what happens to him at club level and what coaches decide for him, he could go in all sorts of different um, directions, which is is really promising. And he seems to have a bit more about him maybe than the, the sort of raw, talented players we've seen in the past make an impact, but then maybe disappear. I, you know, I would hope and I feel like he's not maybe going to disappear for the next couple of years in the way that, say, Ben Woodburn did or, or George Williams did completely. You know, he seems here to stay, but the, the next few months, year or so at club level is going to be important as well. His younger brother's pretty good as well uh, in the 19s, I think. I haven't checked. He's either 17s or 19s. So, yeah, a bit of a bit of a dynasty. Wasn't in the squad today for Liverpool's 4-0 win over Arsenal, though. No, and they had quite a lot of youngsters on the bench as well. And they bought some of the lads say, on. Yeah, there's a few names I don't recognise. And I don't know. And Klopp, Klopp is fairly complimentary as well when, you know, invited to comment on, on Nico's performances. I don't know whether there's maybe an injury. I mean, I understand corrected if, if there is, but you know, for all of that has just been said and for all that's been said by others in the last few days, that does take the gloss off it a little bit for me. Maybe. Because I, I think ultimately what, what, Klopp, what Klopp wants and what we need are, are clearly nowhere near aligned. Sorry, Rich, you saying? Yeah, no, see, maybe Klopp rested him. I still have to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I did see that uh, Owen back was on the bench. Yeah, yeah, he was. So, so, so yeah. that's something. But um, yeah, I, I watched that video clip. On It was on the like, BBC Wales on the Sport app, had it there. And the, the actual video of Klopp speaking wasn't exactly connected to the headline. I mean, he didn't really rave about it that much, did he? It was kind of fairly lukewarm, fairly lukewarm praise, I think. So yeah, I don't know what, um, hopefully, maybe that's just his way of motivating Nico to work even harder and do even better. Yeah. But, but we'll have to see about that. Maybe I'm sort of seeing what I want to see or thinking what I want to think, but I can't see Nico Williams going the way of some of those players we've had who've, who've, who've kind of prolonged their time in the under-23s for just too long and maybe regressed, you know, in those sort of early in their early 20s before you know in case maybe Harry Wilson's done all right in the end but he's got an air about him that just I don't know I can't imagine him being happy to not kick on and not play football at a decent level those there were two moments one in each game where he did a similar thing he sort of bent those um bent those shots in that, that just missed the one that went straight just over against Belarus and the one that was saved against Belgium and both times he sort of he walks off and he's got this sort of on the one hand, this sort of quite um, confident-looking strut in the way he sort of strides off with this sort of bounce, uh, which kind of seems to sort of give this sense of a really kind of confident player, but without any of the kind of arrogance. It, 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 the way he reacted also had this purposefulness, which was just right back to it, next one, and, and get on with the job. And he, he just looks like sort of player who's hungry, who wants to play. I can't see that he's going to knock around in Liverpool's under-23s for much more than another year or so. Surely not. Yeah, a lone move in January would be would be good. 
for us, but as I said, Klopp may have other plans. I think to kind of finish up on Nico, like he has been playing, starting regularly in the League Cup, and I think he was the man of a match in the in the last round when they got through against Preston. I think it's up at, up at the quarter final stage. So if Liverpool are in that competition, he'll be at Liverpool because they'll Klopp will want to play him in that competition if he's fit. I'm sure. So like if he if they're still in it come January, I think I don't think he will go on loan at this point. I'm not quite as. Con- Concerned and thinking, oh, he needs to play. He needs to play desperately at this point. Let's just, you know, see in a year's time. Because I mean, he's he's twenty years old. He's talked about how like playing against um, Salah and Mane and Firmino. These guys in training every single day is making them a better player. I mean, like, I mean that's that's some schooling, that isn't it? You know, defending against those guys. Liverpool clearly are one of the best teams in the world at, at this particular point, and they have brilliant fullbacks. And, options in his position so I think maybe a little bit more patience is required but I can I can also I understand it I understand the frustration because we've just seen these brilliant performances from him and we're thinking why why isn't he playing at club level why isn't he playing yeah yeah do you remember Thomas (laughs) I think he's a fantastic addition in that he's a good first choice backup on either side because he can play either side if we're going to play wing backs from now on Wingback seems to be his position. I think he's like third in line, basically. So if one of those guys is injured or suspended, he comes in for me at this particular point. That's uh, that's part of what gives me half a curious hope for what I was saying earlier. I, I could imagine, and all right, it would take uh, you know certain things to happen in, in player development at club level. But I could definitely imagine three or four years down the line as playing with sort of Sorba Thomas as a left wing back, maybe even Reese Norton and Davis, I don't know. And Nico Williams having by that point become more like a, you know, a central midfield player. I think he could play. He, he he's got the potential to develop in lots of different ways. I don't. Th- I think maybe part of the issue at Liverpool and with with Klopp is that it doesn't strike me as that obvious. You know exactly what sort of player he, he is yet, and he's only nineteen. We're lighting central midfield, looking at our sort of younger players, and what happens when there's no more Ramsey and there's no more Allen. So it's a, an interesting possibility, at least. But um, obviously, we'd have to see where the next few years pan out. A good point on his age, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty. It's uh, oh, twenty. I think he's only nineteen. He turned isn't he? twenty earlier in the year, but yeah, born in two thousand and one. <laughs> oh dear, I've gone off. I've gone off. <laughs> he never lived through yeah. the Bobby Gould yeah. years. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> And I think what's interesting as well with him, let's have a look, 17 caps. Uh, he's not been on the losing side many times either. There are defeats there, but certainly competitive games. So again, it's a sense that these these young players, yes, they're getting caps, but they're not getting them a generation ago in losing efforts more often than not in the way that Hughes had to get some new blood in and the way Toshak had to blood them. Being young and coming into a winning side, I think is is, is, is clearly a lot different. Should we look at the playoff, the potential playoff opponents? Have I, have I read this right? We're kind of like the bottom of the seeded teams, aren't we? With that point, we've got a promotion from the unseeded into the seeded ones, if I've, if I've read it all right. Which guarantees us a home fixture, clearly. Uh, avoids Portugal and Italy. But there's still, obviously, decent opponents. Everybody seems to be going a little bit hot on um, North Macedonia. Personally, Leon, I think I quite fancy Austria. Am I am I right to think along those lines? Uh, yeah, I, I fancy Austria as well, as long as we get it tactically right this time, because we didn't the last time we played them in Cardiff, in the first half at least. 
And obviously everyone remembers the Woodburn goal, but bringing on Andy King at halftime is key to us getting some sort of control in midfield because Coleman got it completely wrong in kind of letting Alaba completely dictate that first half. We should have been 2 0 down at half time. But they're not a great side. No, I fancy Austria <laughs> out, of, out of that lot. Austria are um, one of the teams in there by virtue of the Nations League, aren't yeah. they? They finished fourth in a pretty average group. Well, it must be an average group because Scotland finished second in it. But Denmark were the only really team of any consequence in their group. They finished below Israel. You know, they lost four games in that group. They're not all that. Ukraine, I think, are not all that either. They won two, drew six of their games. So they didn't get beat, but they had a pretty average group as well. Finland and, and Bosnia and Kazakhstan, okay, are, are not awful, awful teams, but they're not great teams either. And they were struggling to sort of win too many games against them. Czech Republic, I think we know we've got nothing, you know, necessarily to fear from. And then North Macedonia, I'd say similarly. So if we could avoid Poland, I'd probably be happy. Yeah, I did notice someone who, um, on Twitter, I can't remember the name, sorry, after give them a shout out at later at some point, but it's someone who said they've been watching Poland quite a bit recently. And apart from Lewandowski, <laughs> which is a big apart from, <laughs> um, you can say pretty <laughs> yeah. average, but you know, they do have Lewandowski who's one of the greatest strikers of all time, quite frankly. So I would rather avoid them. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I would, I would agree with you, but even, even if we do get Poland, I'd still feel kind of, We've got a more a more than decent chance of beating them, and particularly playing at home. I, I would fancy us for sure, even against Poland. Is it right that on the twenty sixth, when the draw is, they draw the whole of each route? Is that right? So we'll know a who we've got in the first game, but then will we also know if we're at home in any potential final, and 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 which two teams our opponent would potentially be from as well. I think the whole thing gets mapped out, does it, in that draw? Yes, is the simple answer. They'll no doubt drag it out over about four hours, but yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty much how it's how it's going to work. And um, yeah, there's nobody in that unseeded group that you, you really want to avoid. I mean, like you said, I mean, you, you, you'd rather not face Lewandowski, right. Lewandowski if you can. Um, it was Simon Rees um, that tweeted something along those lines, Leon, I'm pretty sure. You lived in Poland for a while and, and did and, and continues to, to take a close interest in them. Um, weirdly, they, they rested Lewandowski and I'm trying to think the other player it was. I can't remember his name now, but... Um, weirdly sort of rested them even though they weren't injured ended up losing to Hungary I think it was wasn't it which meant they slipped into the unseeded so as much as this parallel kind of has any relevance when it comes to like the playoffs in the league for example I always favour those clubs that kind of just get even if they've just finished seventh in the in the in, in, the, in, the, in the in the maybe in the final playoff position if they've got there on a run rather than that team that's dropped from like second to third on the final weekend I sometimes just like, you know, you want to hit those playoffs with a bit of momentum. That's not the same with this because we don't play again now until uh, March, isn't it? But it's that sense that, you know, you had it and then you lost it and then you're having to pick yourself up for a playoff that you didn't think was going to be the case. I don't know. I'm probably maybe over, uh, sort of overreading it a little bit, but it seemed to be careless on their part to take the the, uh, the action they did. It's a bit of a shame it's not until March, isn't it? I think it feels like uh, yeah, the November yeah. playoff, the way the last uh, couple of games have gone, would have been really, uh, really suited us. Yeah, because remember the Russia playoff? That was almost immediately, wasn't it? Is, yeah. is my memory. It was like, a, was like a week or two afterwards or something. 
that sense that you know you're almost on top of the game from the moment you realise you're in the playoff feels a bit different to this. But it's potentially there's a good chance that you're going to get you know a Portugal and Italy in the the final of those playoffs. The Nations League gets drawn next year as well. If we qualify, you're then in a World Cup. We we could be playing next year, you know, almost you know big hitter after big hitter after big hitter, <laughs> pretty much every every month from March till the end of the year, which is kind of remarkable, really. Again, not wanting to get too too ahead of ourselves. There'll be some massive, massive fixtures. There will be, but I mean, I think like I'm kind of I'm really not into having a big hitter <laughs> in the final of the playoff. <laughs> like I. I I don't care how like glamorous and iconic it would be if we were. Give me the worst team. Give me the worst team by far, and the, like the least glamorous team that we can just like as as much as we can do, just roll them over. Because um, like, Portugal and there's Italy. Anyone else? I'm I'm relatively comfortable. I just the nightmare scenario is like away in Italy. That's the ultimate nightmare. Is is like the away in Italy. Yeah, I'd quite. I'd always like quite. Fancy them at home? I'd rather not. I'd rather get someone else, but at home... That's crazy, Leon. That's crazy. <laughs> just, I don't know. Why? The atmosphere, I mean, this, this record that we've got recently at home is fantastic. The crowds, you know, just the the idea of, like, the sense of occasion, like, us versus Italy in Cardiff for a, for a place in the World Cup. I mean, it's just huge. That's literally the opposite of how I feel. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> absolutely no way I'd want to get them yeah. away, <laughs> which is which is what will happen, obviously. But at home, uh, there's something to look forward to there, I think. Or maybe I'm just crazy. We'll get what we'll get, ultimately, won't we? But like the dream would be, instead of say we get Austria and we get drawn in the same route as, I don't know, Macedonia and let's say Sweden. And Macedonia scrape a win against Sweden with some fluky goal, and then we get drawn against them at home, and just that that would be lovely. That would be perfect. You know, the big nights against Italy and Portugal can wait till the World Cup. As far as I'm, give us a bit of luck in qualifying. You know, give us a bit of playoff yeah. luck for like the first time <laughs> ever. Uh, and of course, there is the chance. I, you know, I think a, you know a fairly real chance as well. I, mean, I don't know what the odds are. I'll leave it to the the wee global folk and some of the other kind of more statty football social media accounts but there's a decent shout that we might end up seeing a, a penalty shootout to get us there at some point which in equal measure thrills me and terrifies me oh, i don't know if, i don't know if i could no. cope with that honestly i don't love our players for a penalty shootout i've got to say it's, <laughs> no. no it's i no sorry <laughs> i pride myself on being an optimist in life but no that's not for us it's just we, we have I, I don't think we've got the players for that danny wood's a good he is. he is. The Huddersfield uh, fans would uh, would vouch for that. Do you think who who are the killers? Who are the technique? Who like who do you fancy for penalties if we have to go down that route? I mean, there's a couple of obvious ones who I feel like really comfortable with. I just don't see it. I, I don't. That doesn't feel good to me instinctively. Even our great players, our Bales, our Ramseys, who take penalties and score penalties fairly regularly, they've got a penalty miss in them. Well, as Bale showed in the Euros and. You know, then then once you get start getting down to some of the other players, I don't know. I agree with Rich on that one. Kiefer Moore is, is is one for me who sort of usually bangs them in, whatever. Dan James got one um, in the Europa League more final. Often than not, I suppose Harry Dan Wilson James would be good, but after that, I'd get a bit nervous. Nico can strike a you know, ball. I don't want it to come. <laughs> for that. 
He could be good. Yeah. Do we need to see Connor Roberts mm, taking a penalty? No, we don't. We don't. Do we need that? Chris yeah. Matter. Yeah. I, well, I think Danny Ward strikes the ball absolutely beautifully, and I think I'd, I'd stick Ward on one of them in like in summoning a big Roger Freestone penalty taking keeper <laughs> energy. <laughs> so okay, so okay. Um, who would you? Where would you want them to take it? The Canton end or the the Grange? Oh, Canton, definitely. Yeah, be the twelfth man. Crowd sound was fantastic on TV, by the way. Well done, guys. It was that no, was brilliant. Yeah, it, it, I don't know, um, Dazon. It, you always hear the crowd a bit more clearly than if it's Sky Sports or something. I don't know if it was Sky do something with the sound where they kind of blur it a bit, but I could hear all the hear the swearing coming through the Viva Gareth Bale. Chant sound is fantastic <laughs> through Dazon, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the Kiefer Moore give it up chants and. Uh, Aaron Ramsey, baby. It was br- just brilliant. Atmosphere was sounded absolutely brilliant on TV. <laughs> it was good. It was good. And, and you know, credit to the FAW. They just stage manage the whole evening really, really well. It's like, you know, there's stuff artists, bands, there's DJs on down in the stand. And I, I'm one or two people who are a bit sniffy at that. They like the yeah, traditional, just like, you know, want to, you know, a pint and a pie and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, there's some of that, particularly for the kids. Like, you know, we were there, guys, when we were the little ones. And, you know, they just drop the lights just about 30 seconds before, then the music comes on and then they start flashing their lights. But, you know, my youngest went to the Belarus game and it's just like wide-eyed. It's just like, what is this? They they manage the evenings really, really well, to be fair to them. Yeah, got a lot, lot of time for the, the match day, match evening experience. And games under the lights are always a little bit more, a bit more enjoyable than the, the, the daytime ones, in my personal view, anyway. So well done to uh, Neil... Uh, Mooney for shutting down any talk of moving moving stadium for the playoff, which is clearly and obviously to anyone who follows the team an absurd idea. But well done him for being so categorical and clear on. Yeah, I mean, I sort of read that as, as soon as I saw the headline. I was like, well, what was was anybody really actually thinking that? <laughs> it was. I mean, is this something that needs to be said? But okay, perhaps it obviously does. But it was almost like a non-news item. But yeah, no, I I, I echo that sentiment. Yeah. Absolute non-starter. The razzmatazz, I think, is is one of those things. It's either great or it's it's rubbish, isn't it? And it ultimately, it depends how the game goes. The razzmatazz and the sort of the, the lights going down and the zombie nation and the light shows and all of that. They're they're good because we've got the results we wanted. If you if you drop points against Estonia, then they look stupid, don't they? But um, but yeah, no, I always find my kids had a whale of a time. So, you know, more of it, it's fine. Anything else anyone wants to say for unleash? My stats. No, you, you go go for it, Ref. Okay, I got to fill in a drum roll. So anyway, in um, the now compulsory Sean Morel, Joe's mum corner segment of the podcast, <laughs> got in touch and having listened to the preview and that we had Hugh on last time, and sorry, should should have uh, thanked Hugh uh, a little bit earlier for for joining us for the preview episode. We made reference to to Sean, Joe's mum listens, and she got in touch uh, between. <laughs> between that episode and uh, and recording this. I mean, no surprise to us. Really pleased with how Joe played, particularly in light of maybe a you know, slightly slow start and picking up that early booking. And she dropped this stat on us, which I, I, I'm you know big, big stat head myself. Anyway, I loved it. That was Joe's 25th cap against Belgium. And he is apparently, according to Sham, the 100th male player to reach that, I say milestone, 25 caps is but it's more than I've got, obviously. But as milestones go, it's not obviously the greatest, but um, it's the 100th, 100th player to get the 25 caps. So um, there you go. I can only assume that he was probably told that or, or I don't know, maybe maybe Sean and Joe were kind of like really into 
like cap history and the statistical history of the team. I don't know. Yeah, it's brilliant. So we now have a hundred quarter centurions. Hundred quarter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you could. You could if you were so inclined to. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's twenty-five. That seems to have come round. I don't know sometimes you get these players that go. I mean, like cause for example, Ethan Ampadu's like on thirty, and he's got there. This was in the press in the run-up to the Belarus game. He'd got there like a year, I think, or eighteen months ahead of both Bale and Gunter, for example. And you know, sometimes you kind of go, yeah, but that doesn't feel like a surprise because he's been around. It feels like for a while now. Morel getting twenty-five almost feels like he's crept up to them a little bit. Obviously, we talk about it a lot, so because he's playing a lot. But sometimes you see caps tallies on players. Uh, well, if you like me, and you kind of go, really? When did that all that happen? <laughs> well, I felt like that when uh, Hugh said in the preview that Dylan Levitt has got ten caps or more now. I was like, really? I thought it'd, it'd just come on like once or twice in games. Like I didn't know yeah. he was in double yeah. figures already. I don't want to assume anything about uh, Mrs. Morrell, but I would say the Venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast and people who are interested in the history of Welsh cap statistics is probably a circle. <laughs> 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 I think that's deeply, deeply fair. Anything else to say about um, what was a, a really, really enjoyable international window? And it's a shame it's shut for so many months, but um, but there we go. Two really quick things. I got a lot of love for Wayne Hennessy coming on at the end of the Belarus game. I think hopefully uh, we'll find some friendlies and whatever else it takes to get him to 100 caps. I feel like Danny Ward has earned his place in the team, but I feel like he got there by virtue of having the chance to come in and then performing rather than because Wayne Hennessy has ever done anything terribly wrong, notwithstanding his sort of lack of club football, which could equally be levelled at um, Danny Ward. And I, you know, I bang the drum a lot for Wayne Hennessy. I think he's been such a great um, great goalkeeper, great servant for the Welsh team and I'd love to see him be the, the third player to 100 caps. And secondly, also lots of love for Joe Ledley and him being paraded out at the Belgian game, having just recently announced his retirement, who was uh, equally fantastic uh, servant for us in a, in a different era might have been someone who, who also got to a uh, hundred caps were he a little bit younger I think technically he's only retired from club football he's still available for international isn't he <laughs> yeah. that was very much how I read the, the press release the statement <laughs> much love for uh, Joe Ledley Rich Leon oh yeah huge fan I mean I think actually he did specifically say um, he would never retire from Wales he, he doesn't agree with that which is really um which is a great attitude to have. Yeah, you say he's like kind of part of like the previous era and it does like really, really feel like that now as well. Um, I guess it's a shame his latter years, he could have lost quite a lot with, with injury and so on. But um, yeah, a, leg- a legend of uh, Welsh football. Good luck to him. He's uh, Absolutely. Yeah, a true Brilliant. icon. Yeah, I, I, was, um, I was lucky enough to be at Wembley for the FA Cup semi-final when he creamed that volley in against Barnsley. I was right above it in the sort of middle tier um fantastic uh well re- i mean he could play that's the thing that sort of maybe gets a little bit overlooked with ledley actually he was a really good player um he don't win 77 international caps and unless he's decent he's sort of top 10 for a, a appearance hold appearance appearances for wales i think isn't he um some just yeah some you know brilliant brilliant sort of supporting performances really in the Euros and, and leading up to that and as part of our sort of greatest ever team and he's a legend it seems a great character great player and I wish him all the best here here uh, he uh, 
I know he's one of those players I just felt that made other players perform better. Uh, just looking, his final cap was the friendly in America against Mexico. He played in the France friendly after we lost to Ireland um, in the qualifiers for 2018, and he played in the France and uh, Mexico uh, friendlies, and then that was it, it's 2018, which uh, I don't remember him figuring in, but yeah. Can I just say one more thing uh, for more? Because we haven't mentioned him. This is eighth goal in 24 caps, so he's got a one in three goal-scoring record. And I think when we when we first came in the team, we said something like, be really surprised if he gets double figures. Well, he's he's only two off it now. And I'll be, I'll be really amazed if he doesn't get double figures. What an absolutely brilliant international career he's having. Totally unexpected, isn't it? I mean, he's yeah. like in his late 20s and uh, he's such an important player for us and a, a brilliant footballer. Without his emergence as an international player, we don't go to those second Euros and we don't get to the playoffs for this World Cup. That's that's how important he is to us now. And I suppose, pointless getting furious about it, but it didn't seem to stop me. And I think Russ felt the same in the game. Gets an, yet another book in, which I thought was very harsh. Having been absolutely clattered himself in the first half by one of the Belgian defenders for zero yellow card for that defender. Um, I think it was probably Boyata. It's something that's going to, we're going to have to learn to live with. But honestly, sometimes it just feels like persecution more than any kind of proper referee. Boyata just went straight through him. No attempt to play the ball. Polax is more nothing. And then he gets a book in for a fraction of the offence. I do think he, he played a lot smarter on the whole against Belgium. There was definitely evidence of him modifying how he was moving and kind of how he was using his body and stuff. So that's definitely something, um, hopefully, um, that there'll be more of. I thought that's the hardest working performance I've seen from him as well. You know, it's clear he always puts in a very physical performance and he's under the cosh. But, you know, the way he was running channels, he was taking the ball on himself, sometimes weren't many options. He ran himself into the ground. And I think a massive testament to the threat they perceived him to be was in the second half, they were double teaming on him. So often he was having to jump with Witzel and Boyata. And that, I think, is, is testament to the threat they, they saw him to be in that second half. And um, whichever episode it was, I said, I, I doubt you'll ever get to double figures. I'll, I'll take down. <laughs> so that there's no, there's no trace of that ever to be found again. More than happy to be proved wrong. What's the audio equivalent of a screenshot? Because I'll have to go and... <laughs> Is it an audio shot? I'll have to go and get an audio shot quickly now. Sneak one off. Belarus friendly, wasn't it? I think he made his debut. So it's probably around, around that time. But no, like I said, happy to be proved wrong. So let's leave it there. It's a late one for all of us, even later for you, Leon. And um, maybe you get together to have a think about the playoff opponents and that route to the World Cup that will be mapped out next Friday, 26th.